From KLCC Studios, this is Oregon on the Record. I'm Michael Dunn. President Gerald Ford in 1976 officially recognized February as Black History Month. The reason was to focus attention on the contributions of African Americans to the United States. And as Americans, our observance of Black History Month runs the full spectrum of attention from deep and profound reverence and celebration to apathy. Today on Oregon on the Record, you'll hear from two leaders in our community who work exceptionally hard to teach about the history of black people in our state to both understand and remember all of the pain and suffering, yet also to celebrate the joy and triumph. They run the Black Cultural Initiative in Eugene, and their goal is to cultivate a healthy and connected black community by creating welcoming spaces that attract black people while also centering and celebrating black culture. You'll hear how and why what they do is so important for all of us. Today on the show, you'll hear two leaders of the Black Cultural Initiative and the Black Cultural Festival of Eugene, Talisha Brown and Kokaye Nasakeri. As we enter the midpoint of February, they'll talk about the importance of Black History Month as both a remembrance of the struggle of Black Americans, but also the triumph and joys. Talisha Brown and Kokaye Nasakeri, who are both uh, a part of the Black Cultural Initiative. Uh, uh, Talisha is the executive director and, and Kokaye is the community organizer and historian for the Black Cultural Initiative. Really appreciate, really appreciate you guys coming in and talking to us. Thank you so much for having us. Talisha, you and I have spoken before, but I, w- I want to talk about Black History Month and, and, and certainly in the context of, of here in Oregon, which is, you know, overwhelmingly a white state, um, but is, is also a very progressive place. And I, and I kind of want you to sort of start the conversation with how we should view Black History Month. Yeah, we... Uh... Black History Month is amazing. It's a beautiful month to celebrate and to honor. And I think one of the things to remember about Black History Month, especially as it relates to Oregon, is that white Oregon was founded on white supremacist mm-hmm. principles, right? It, it was meant to be a white un- utopia. So we actually can't really separate out Black History Month outside of that historical context. And to recognize that the history of the original black families who have been here for decades from the 40s and the 30s, the 20s, that history has largely been erased from Oregon history. And so in order to really celebrate and to really welcome in that historical context, we have to remember that black people, their families have been in this area here in the Eugene Springfield area for decades, and that largely their history is erased. Largely, we don't have that information. And that information is actually just in the last numbers of decades been becoming uncovered and unve- unveiled. So I actually happen to have the, the opportunity to be a part of a monuments project right now, which is really looking at creating a large bronze statue at Alton Baker Park, which mm. is where these original black families lived to commemorate their existence. They were there. They were forcibly removed from the city of Eugene. They, they were given six days notice to leave their home right and yeah. the place where they had created community and to cre- and to create the the understanding that black people have always been in Oregon Kokaye how does how do white people in our community access that history because it's 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 not something many of us were taught in schools it's it in some ways it's 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 been willfully 
kept from us or our own ignorance to not want to learn it. How do we now in 2024 do a better job of, of accessing that history that Talisha just so eloquently talked about? Well, I am kind of confused by the question. Okay. And part of the reason I'm confused by the question is accessing history. And what does accessing history mean? For most people, this is an intellectual endeavor, so they're going to look for a book or a website or a movie or a documentary that they can consume. But consumption isn't access. So if there are foundational black families for Eugene, the idea would be that you aren't going to access them to consume them. You're going to identify who those persons are and then choose to meet with them. And what journey you end up having to go to through as a white person to meet the families is different than accessing. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I, for many of us, I'll use myself as an example. I you know, grew up in a, in a very white community in, in Northern California. You and I were talking previously, and, 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 and it was kind of instructive for me in that for example i never learned about what happened in tulsa in 1925 until i saw watchmen and i was like so many other white people who had never heard of this foundational element of black history in our nation and 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 so instructive of the violence that 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 befell because of the success of black wall street at that time and so my question goes along the line of, I spent all my, you know, primary, secondary education, college education, not learning about black history. And now I've reached a point or many people have where it's like, I feel like I've missed so much. And so that was my question about access. And maybe it was the wrong way to frame the question. Well, I'm, again, confused in that we have now in our current events, mm -hmm. 18 states that have banned CRT. Yeah. Okay, Florida right now is actively putting up resistance to white students receiving instruction in black history and that their parents have to sign a permission slip. Okay, because it's one of the 18 states that have banned CRT, right? So my question becomes, why the NEA, National Education Association, which is the largest union in the country, is not actively empowering and protecting middle school and high school teachers so that they can teach what is already accessible, <laughs> you know? And if they need therapists to come in in order to help the parents who now feel I didn't know anything about this. I'm a little frustrated and upset that I didn't learn about this either. My children are learning about this and I don't know how to relate to this material. They need instruction too. So it seems like there needs to be a wraparound human systems approach to making this information available and digestible to those who are actively saying, I don't want to consume it. Yeah. 
let me reintroduce you to the audience. We're talking with Talisha Brown and Kokaye Nasakere, who are both uh, a part of the Black Cultural Initiative. Uh, uh, Talisha is the executive director, and, and Kokaye is the community organizer and historian for the Black Cultural Initiative. We have this thing where we, where we uh, perhaps even pay lip service to, to celebrating Black History Month, but perhaps there's never been more fear amongst individuals and institutions to be able to openly celebrate diversity or, or celebrate black history in that form. I just want to get your impressions about that. Yeah, it, it seems that there is uh, there are a lot of organizations and institutions, individuals who are really wanting to practice black history and mm-hmm. to celebrate it. It's actually really wonderful to see the organizations and individuals who are working who are reaching out to me to say, hey, what are you putting on? Can we help? Can we volunteer? Can we participate? You know, spreading the word for us. So it's actually pretty amazing and it's a wonderful time to be a part of this, what I call it, um, what I would hope to believe is a changing trajectory for um, our local region. Okay. Um, so that's really wonderful to see. We're, you know, offering a number of fantastic events at the center. And um, and this is, this is a, I think, a, a, a touchstone point, I would imagine, for our local region where we could really look at, wow, there's some, some things that had occurred in the past. There's some things that are occurring now that could really change that trajectory and really looking at, you know, even being able to consider a black mayor in Eugene, hmm. right? In having a black community center here based in Eugene, like these are some pretty amazing things that are occurring. Um, Having hundreds of people come out to our events, each event that we have is an amazing touch point. So we're really looking at as well other organizations that are in our local community that are doing some fantastic work. Honey is doing black cultural, uh, a multicultural black history month event. Um, Ujima Financial Literacy Collective is doing some events as well. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's fantastic to see how our organization and our communities are really coming together and banding together Mm -hmm. um, to provide some really fantastic resources to our community. In the context of celebrating, you know, Black History Month, how do you feel, you know, the acceptance, the celebration, the, 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 the patronization of black businesses in our community is, is going? Is, is it a better situation than perhaps it was just a few decades ago? Or is there still many, many strides we need to make? <laughs> you know, I was having this conversation with my father this morning. Mm-hmm. And his job at the state is to marry federal contracts with local businesses in order to create jobs, to create opportunity. And so what I posed to him was a recent report that came out about the wealth gap. And when it comes down to wealth, for every dollar of wealth, not income, wealth that white households have, black households have 24 cents. Hmm. Native households have eight cents. So when it comes down to accessing black economics here in Eugene the very first thing is it has to be an openly black business for you to be even able to identify oh this is where I need to put some of my currency hmm. okay now 
if the atmosphere, like we just got through saying, is charged politically and it's slightly toxic, then you're gonna do everything within your power to not present yourself as a black business, you're gonna present yourself as a business itself. Because hmm. that way you will get patronage without the charge. Talisha, I wanted to ask you, and, and, and Kokeri was talking about this idea of a human experience. It's, it's, it's used often when talking about Black History Month. In fact, it's, I, I've seen it all over social media. It's kind, of a, it's kind of a tagline of, you know, Black History Month is American history. Okay, yes, we're calling it Black History, but this is really about our collective history, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's really about telling a story, okay. right? It's really about telling a story. And, you know, earlier y'all mentioned, um, you know, Tulsa, Oklahoma and the Black mm -hmm. Wall Street, right? Yeah. Well, one of the truths that, that isn't oftentimes told in his story is that there were Black Wall Streets throughout the nation. Mm. And actually, my family was a member of a Black Wall Street in, in Arkansas. So okay. we were a part of a, of a citizenship called Dobieville. And mm. just like the Black Wall Streets, the Tulsa, Oklahomas that happened throughout the country, right? We, we grew our businesses, we had our restaurants, we had our schools, we had our post offices, we had everything in that community. And when that community reached a critical, thriving, healthy, connected mass, the white people came in and destroyed it. Hmm. So that was the, the time in my lineage when my people got to really experience wealth and community and connection and building black community together for everyone's benefit, right? Yeah. So that's not just about commute. That's not just about black history. That is about our all, everyone's collective history. And that story is oftentimes not told. Yeah. Kukaye. In, in learning about black history, and again, I'll, I'll put it from my perspective as, as a white person, you know, why did it, why, why does it take seemingly terrible events like we just described about when, 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 when white people see something succeed in the black community and try and knock it over like we just talked about, you know, these acts of violence, you know, why does it take something like that to, to sort of, I don't know, create elements of learning? Let's start origin story. Okay. And get to where you're saying. Okay. okay. So <clears throat> there is a gentleman by the name of Dr. Carter G. Woodson. He is the second black man to graduate from Harvard. He is, his peer is Dr. W.B. Du Bois. Okay. okay. So this is the late 1890s. What his challenge is, is literally gathering enough data to put in books or in journals of black history because black people did not have the open opportunity to document their lives. So you got to write down what happened. That's the very first task. So on February 7th, 1926, he starts something called Negro History Week. Hmm. Part of the reason he's able to do that is because he and Dr. Du Bois have gone around and established schools for black children to attend for them to be able to hear their history. We now fast forward that to post-civil rights movement. 
we have a historian and cultural anthropologist named Maulana Karinga in UCLA. He is the inventor of Kwanzaa, which institutionalizes the courage of the civil rights movement. He's the one that comes up with Black History Month in 1978 for my generation, for Talisha's generation, for your generation. The contribution of Black History Month was a part of multiculturalism. Multiculturalism's purpose was and still is to teach the children of segregation that there's more than one way to be human. Hmm. Now, since our generation has practiced and elevated Black History Month, it has transformed into Black Joy Month. Hmm. Okay? So now, it is a little scary, just like we see in Gaza, to see joy in the midst of sorrow. Why are you guys joyful? Where are you getting it from? Shouldn't you be sad? Shouldn't you be beat down? If there's a wealth gap to where you're only working with one quarter to every white dollar, why are you still joyful? Why are you happy? So now the dominant society that is trying to perceive the mystery that is black joy, they see something that's violent, they look at our reaction, they see the way that we handle it, they are now inspired, and now their curiosity is, how do you guys do that? Does that start leading as to why the brain now opens up from the dominant society to now want to investigate the origin story of where this black joy is coming from? That's fascinating to me. Talisha, I mean, you know, obviously so much of what you do at the Black Cultural Initiative is celebrating that joy. And it's, 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 it's not just celebrating, it's, it's exporting it to, to the wider community. Maybe as we kind of get close to the end here, you know, talk about that in the context of, of Black History Month and this idea that there is so much joy to celebrate despite all the hardship. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it's so easy to focus on the pain and the struggle and the suffering. And, you know, with the Black Cultural Initiative, we we really focus on like our our focal point is on creating a healthy and connected local black community here in Lane County. So in order to do that, we do need to gather. We do need to be connected. Um, we haven't had very many opportunities in the past to gather and okay. to be connected. So the Black Cultural Initiative is basically creating those spaces, creating those events and those times and those places for black people to be and to center ourselves in our joy, in our pride and in our love. There's so much to be joyful and prideful of as a black person. And I love being black. Mm -hmm. And I love being around other people who love being black. It's infectious. <laughs> Kokari, as we, as we finish up, you know, and, and this may be difficult because it's such a, it's such a nuanced question, but speaking or speaking to our audience, Western and Central Oregon, you know, which is predominantly white and, and, and perhaps older, you know, what is, what is, how, sh how would you advise they think about Black History Month and, and perhaps even think about being more engaged with Black History Month? 
Where are they in their healing journey? That's where I would ask them to their healing journey, their healing journey, because we're working from a premise that trauma or intergenerational trauma, historical trauma has visited everyone in the United States. It isn't just something that black people have. It isn't just something that native people have. It's something that white body people have too. So when you're coming to black history, if you do so from an intellectual Spock-like Star Trek version <laughs> of logic, then you're looking like an anthropological, you know, like, like you're David Attenborough at black people removed from yourself. Not as if it's a relationship that you've had for the last 600 years on Turtle Island with black bodies, with native bodies as a white body person. So now when you read a newspaper article from the civil rights movement, you're not reading something that's separate from you. You're reading something that is connected to you. I am a part of this. That's part of what Talisha was saying and what you were saying about black history is American history. We have to tell the whole story of what has happened here on Turtle Island without moving ourselves from those parts that are uncomfortable. Well, I don't want to view myself this way, hmm. but you need to view yourself in 360 degrees. And in order to do that, you're going to have to go on your healing journey through some of the shadow work, some of the pain to be able to see, okay, that person that I vilified in this story, they were trying to be as human as they could in 1822. Hmm. They were trying to be as human as they could in 1946. Just like I'm trying to be as human as I can in 2024. Wow. That's beautiful. It really was. It really was. We, we could talk so much more, and unfortunately, we're, we're out of time. But I, I just really want to thank you both for coming in and sharing your thoughts. We've been talking with Talisha Brown, and we've been talking with Kokoye Nasakere. They're both uh, leaders of the Black Cultural Initiative. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Asante sana. That's our show for today. Black history is not separate from American history. They're intertwined, yet for many of us, we didn't learn about critical events and people that define black history, and that's a huge gap in our national memory. I wanna thank both Talisha Brown and Kokaye Nasakeri for coming on the show and talking with us. This show, along with all episodes of Oregon on the Record, is available at klcc.org. I'm Michael Dunn, and this has been Oregon on the Record on KLCC. Thanks for listening.